The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Well, this is one way to kill time during all of this, cleaning up the side of our road in the ditch. Hey, Nance, I found another one of those white styrofoam cups. Oh, what is that, like 50 of them? Who uses styrofoam cups anymore, anyway? I don't know. I have no oh. idea. You know what I would do? What I would do to actually be able to interview one of these styrofoam cups, just find out where they came from, why they're here, who tossed them out. Uh, well, that's a wild fantasy. But then again, nah, uh, let's just start the program. Interviewing a discarded styrofoam cup, that was it. What was I thinking? Hey, how are you? My name is Denny Gringell. Welcome to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. On today's program, some real actual conversation with actual humans. A woman and her family returned from Florida recently, went straight to their home in Omimi, no stopping. On day 15, she went back to her job in essential services to a very different looking Lindsay. She'll tell us about that rude awakening. We'll introduce you to the newest member of the Lindsay Advocate, whose beat is municipal politics and politicians. Hip-hop music lives in Kawartha Lakes. No, actually, it kicks. Courtesy of a man who may have made you a great sandwich wrap. But first, let's take a mental holiday from all this stuff we have to deal with. Sit back, close your eyes. It's a nice winter day. The wind is blowing slightly. I said slightly, sound effects robot. Ah, that's better. Walk with me and Matthew Robbins. You have snowshoes on, just like us. You're trudging through the bush near Dunsford, watching, listening. Matthew is a local hunter whom I accompanied a while back, before hare season closed. Now, hunting's a huge part of our economy and our culture in Kawartha Lakes. Maybe it's not your culture. Maybe you have an opinion about hunting. Maybe it needs some... Well, context. So follow me and Matthew, who really is as much philosopher as he is tracker. Yeah, that's a deer. That's a deer? In a perfect straight line like that? Yeah, yeah, m most likely. But uh, they have four feet, right? Don't yeah, they? well, I mean, it is also a little old, so it, I could be wrong, but uh, if it was a canine, it's a, they'd be a little bit more, uh, just a little bit more spread out. What's your mindset as you're gearing up for this like what, what would you normally be focused and thinking on right now well if there wasn't a guy with a mic in front of you <laughs> um it's it's kind of a game of being loud and being quiet um for these particular animals because you're you're trying to creep in relatively silently so at this point i'd be just slowly working along um being very attentive, looking in every little nook and cranny that you might encounter. And it's only when we actually find one of those larger brush piles that they might hang out in during the day that you then want to be the opposite. You want to be quite loud. You get up there and crash around. But oh. for right now, uh, just slowly working along and, and being attentive. It's kind of one of those things where you don't know what you're looking for until you do. Oh. Uh, <laughs> There are things that I've been noticing just leading up to this, knowing that, you know, I was going to have to pay more attention. I'm looking at a, just a, a small little, um, just a very narrow tree, and I'm seeing, like, some of the bark off of it. Does that 
anything? Does that mean anything? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a that's a rub from a deer. So what do you mean a, a rub? buck. So during the breeding season, they they scrape their antlers along uh, trees and shrubs. Um, they, you know, till up the dirt. They urinate in piles of, of, of broken up leaves and dirt. It's all kind of a territorial type of thing, and they're spreading hormones and that. Uh, How much of this plays into the whole role this whole day of hunting just observing and looking and searching and well i mean that's really why i enjoy doing it i think most hunters they when you first start hunting it's it's a lot of focus on getting something right but as time goes by it's really just about getting out because you always see something interesting like when i'm telling people about why i like to hunt i always say whether i get an animal or not you always see something interesting like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting waiting for a deer and I've seen, you know, uh, an owl come down looking for a weasel or or a, a, a martin or something come by and it's, it just makes it worth it for sure. So, yeah, these little observations, trudging through the forest, it's really one of the biggest reasons we come out. This is one of the most difficult properties I've ever hunted. Really? So yeah. what, what brings you back to it every time then? <laughs> is it the challenge or...? Yeah, there's part of me. I just want to figure it out. I want to be able to... It's a puzzle. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's a bit frustrating and also, uh, uh, yeah, it's just interesting when you encounter uh, a new spot that you can't quite figure out. I grew up with it. I didn't grow up doing it necessarily. A big part of it is that it was my dad. And you take an inherent interest in the things that your parents do, right? And the things that sort of define them. That absolutely defines who my dad is. Being able to go out into the woods and, and get your own food and learn about these animals, learn about the landscape. Tell me about that first, um, and I, I'm not sure what the right word is, that first cat, that first kill? It was a snowshoe hare. So like we're, what we're hunting right now. How old were you? Um, I think it was 16. Um, I, all I remember is being distinctly shocked at the opportunity and then it just happened and, and after that comes the, what always really comes when you kill an animal, it's, you're always amazed at how interesting they are, how beautiful they are, there's always a bit of a, sort of a sense of, it's not guilt or regret but sort of mourning because you, you get up on an animal and you're like, wow that is incredible creature. A sense of mourning, really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think most most hunters feel that, and I'm not sure if it ever necessarily goes away, but it's just kind of part of the process. Um, because there is this negative perception, this misconception of the hillbilly hunter who can open up a beer can with his gun. How do you feel about that negative stereotype? Well, <laughs> that's a big conversation. I, I definitely like to be candid and say that there are people like that. There really are. Um, but as with any other group of people, sort of the, the worst among us doesn't define the whole group. And um, you're right, I, I don't need to do this. There is food at a grocery store, but this gives me something that, for a lot of things, that you know, going to get something at the Value Mart doesn't necessarily give me. It gives me an experience, an understanding of the landscape, a, a relationship with my food. A relationship with your food? Well, tell me about that. What, what is your relationship to your food? Well, there's a sense of obligation to to use it to its, you know, the fullest extent um, because, you know, you actively took that thing's life. 
And that's really interesting to me, especially because I love to cook. So it's also a bit of a challenge, but yeah, I think that that's the key right there. It's just that it, um, it comes with a, an obligation to the animal, I think. Here we cut through here, keep going. So I think just about there. What role does, does this play in your life now, Matthew? Well, this is, you know, something that defines me as a person. I mean, I don't really do sports or anything like that. This is, I hunt and I fish. And uh, as a person who's working, you know, I'm, this is my way of relaxing. It's my idea of a, a day off, really. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's. It's peaceful for one thing. It's it's incredibly rewarding whether you get something or not. Even if you don't get something. Oh rewarding. yeah, absolutely. What's, I mean, the what's the reward when you don't get anything? Just being out here. I mean, it, it, to an extent, you have to consider it's also very physical activity and doing anything. You know, whether it's playing hockey at the end of your workday, it, it really um, helps kind of you know get rid of some of that stress from the day so there's that you're automatically i think just you feel better when you're you're being physical but it's different too because i'm out here breathing the fresh air doing something i love and always learning always and i think most hunters will tell you that like the the more you think you understand the less you really do what has it done for your relationship with your dad that is a great question. I mean, we're we're close as it is, but it gives us something to uh, connect. Exactly, it's something that we we connect on, and and it's one of those things that, as you said, you can't necessarily put it into words. And those those connections are some of the strongest, right? So he, yeah, it's just fantastic to love something like this and have that in common. Wasn't Matthew great? Kind of makes you want to tag along with him when hunting season is open again. And it will be open again, just like everything else. Thanks for being with us. This is episode five of the Advocate Podcast, brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. If you need a lawyer, check them out and what they do. They also have the coolest website, wardlegal.ca. Melanie Babcock and her family did the right thing when they crossed the border back into Canada recently. They went straight to their home in Omini, and they stayed there for 14 days. On day 15, well, that's when Melanie went back to her job in essential services in Lindsay. Many of us, we've had the well, the opportunity, I guess, to witness the transformation of our towns into the quiet it is now. For Melanie, it was a sobering jolt. Because I hadn't, I haven't seen what was happening over the two weeks in stores. And then, you know, today I went to the grocery store and I felt actually safe going into the grocery store. Oh, that's good. How come? Yeah. So just they wash down the car, you hand sanitizer, limited people in the store, um, just listening to people in the standing and waiting in line. You could hear people that they're also worried about it. Describe to me what the mood was like yesterday when people in the house knew that they could actually walk outside and just kind of walk down the street a little bit if they wanted to. My youngest daughter was asking, "Is she kept count, we're on day 14, mom, we can go outside tomorrow, we can go for a walk, and and I said, yeah, I said, but you can't go to like grocery store or see friends, and so that kind of hit them hard still. 
and we're very social people and it's 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 hard sometimes I think it's a huge wake-up call like I hated the 14-day isolation but I got it I get it um and it really puts life into in perspective my name is Brogan Dean from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay your official sponsor of the Advocate podcast stories from Kortha Lakes Okay, earlier in the program, you heard me gripe about all those white styrofoam cups we're finding along our road and and how I fantasized about interviewing one of them. Well, dear listeners, interesting times, remember? And I'm uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the journalistic mumbo-jumbo on how, but with me in my podcast studio right now is a white styrofoam cup. We are disguising its voice in order to protect its identity. Oh, for crying out loud. I am a styrofoam cup that looks like the other hundreds of styrofoam cups in your ditch. I think I can easily remain anonymous. Anonymous and yet so uniquely annoying. Welcome to the Advocate Podcast. Uh, Let's call you Styro. I prefer Cuppy. All right, Cuppy then. What's the deal? Why so many of you along our road? Oh no, pour some coffee or hot chocolate in me, quickly, before I am blown off of this chair. Sure, I'll, I'll just close the window over here. So, Cuppy, tell me, what's it like to be tossed out the window of a car or a truck? Like, um, like... Uh, a piece of trash? Your words. I gotta tell you, it just makes you feel so, so, used, and dirty, and disrespected, every day. Just thrown out of a moving car at 100 k's per hour. Uh, that's weird. The speed limit on our road is like 60 kilometers an hour. Sure, yeah. And nobody is hoarding toilet paper either, right? Mm, you make a good point for an inanimate object. Okay, where do you originate? I mean, where did you start out? This is a mystery to me and my wife. Oh, do you ask a Tim Hortons cup in your ditch this question? Um, no, I don't have to, uh... Touché. Now it is you, making a good point for an inanimate object. So your origins? A factory, a church basement, a body shop or service center waiting room, all of the above. Does it matter? I guess it doesn't. It'd just be nice if you were taken home and placed in the trash can. Hey, if the guy tossing me out even owns a trash can, I am betting he uses it to prop up his TV in his garage. Well, I'll place you in our trash can. Along with all those other non-recyclables I collected in the ditch. Light bulbs, metal pots. Hey, easy! Your hands are cold. Dishes, creamer cups. Say hi to your new friends. Single-use fork, meet cuppy. Cuppy, single-use fork. This is The Advocate Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. We are available to you for free because of our sponsor, Ward's Lawyers of Lindsay. Find out what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. And if you want to know what's going on in your community, The Advocate, both the print and online version, has you covered. Even more so now with the newest addition to The Advocate team, Kirk Winter. Kirk is The Advocate's municipal affairs and education writer. And as a retired high school history teacher in Kawartha Lakes... Not surprising, Kirk came to this new gig. I've always been a policy wonk. I've always followed government. And as far as I'm concerned, the most important level of government is municipal government. When you think about all the things that influence people's lives and can make lives better, you know, I kind of look at 
that very micro level of municipal government and school boards, uh, those two organizations have the power to make people's lives so much better. I mean, whether we're talking about plowing snow, picking up garbage, educating kids, making sure that there's emergency services available. People that think municipal government is boring, I don't think have paid enough attention to it because I find it anything but. I mean, you know, people joke, well, don't you fall asleep at municipal meetings, at council meetings? I don't know how that's possible. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, that, that's what we want is somebody awake during those council meetings so that you can, you can deliver the, the news about it. But you, let, let's pick up on the word you used, which was micro. Kawartha Lakes really is a small town in many ways, despite being, you know, 70 or 80,000 people. Everybody seems to be one or two degrees of separation from that next person. So how yep. is covering City Hall here compared to what it would be like for a reporter in Toronto or even Peterborough, for that matter? You're going to know some of those people in front of you. Certainly the difference from here to covering Durham Regional Council or Metro Toronto Council, it would be massive. I mean, just the sheer numbers of people involved in those other organizations. I mean, I was on a first-name basis with the previous Council of 17. They knew me, I knew them. I'm certainly on a first-name basis with the current Council of Nine. I'm going to guess, and, though, that you were on a first-name basis with some of them even before uh, yeah. your role as a reporter, which comes back to yeah. that, that very small-town feel that we're, we have. I, I was very, very fortunate in the case of about a half a dozen councillors. I had taught their kids. So, you know, someone like a Heather Staubel, I already knew as a mom or a dad. And, uh, and that's, a, that, that's a neat relationship to have. You know, I, I, I knew Ron, Ron Ashmore through the community in Dunsford. So uh, how, does that like change, how does that change your job or how does it color your job in, in terms of covering what they do now that you have to maintain some distance, obviously? Yeah, for, for me, it just means I have to be more careful. If I'm going to be critical, I need to be critical and I need to be correct when I do it. Uh, you know, there are some mean-spirited people in the newspaper business and they use their job as a bully pulpit. I've never seen that as my job. My job is, is to let people know in the community what's going on. And if there's more to it, if there is wrongdoing, that doesn't mean we're not going to present it. If I'm going to report in a negative way, I better get it right. I better dot my I's and cross my T's because I think you know it too. People in this area are consumers of media. And if they hear something from any of those news sources, it had better be correct. Because mm -hmm. you could cripple someone's career overnight. And, you know, maybe someone would deserve that. But, you know, it, it just makes me aware that, you know, that it's certainly my relationship with counselors and the mayor is I see how hard they work. I see the hours they put in, the committees they sit on, the, the dinners they go to. And when people say they're overpaid, when people say they don't earn their money, like I, I, I just shake my hat. I've had a chance to see them work. I've had a chance to see Doug Elmsley spend the entire summer last year 
going from one small town meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting, talking about roads and doing it with incredible good humor. What are your impressions of council so far? Because we're seeing politicians um, up is down and down is up on a national and provincial level. What are you seeing? I think certainly locally we're seeing council function as well as it possibly can. I don't think there's a way you could have practiced for what's going on right now. And I think the mayor and the council is getting good advice from a lot of uh, excellent people right now, you know, whether it be Andrew Rafton, Lynn Noseworthy. Like there are so many good people advising council right now that as long as they're intelligent enough to listen, I don't think they're going to make any major mistakes. If your byline or your name is not on a story, how might I know it's still it's still a Kirk Winter story? I, I hope my pieces focus on people. People and the impact that those people have on other people. You know, all those years I taught high school politics, I wasn't big into memorization and that. For me, politics is how people can make other people's lives better. You are listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Hey, words matter. Words are their power. They're also really, really cool. Cool, yeah, there's a timeless word. Which is why we have a semi-regular feature we call... Well-defined. Defined. Well-defined. Well well does that mean, anyway? Well defined. Our well-defined expert is Lindsay Bowen from Kawartha Lakes Public Library. She's not at the library right now, but at home. Okay, before we get to our well-defined entry, uh, you have to tell me how this came about. Hey boys and girls. Welcome to Storytime. My name is Marianne, and I'm here at the Kirkfield branch of Kawartha Lakes Library. Today's story is called Bear Snores On. Is Bear taking a quick nap? Uh, Yes, so that was a virtual story time that you heard. So we knew that a lot of our patrons come to the library once a week um, to come and listen to story time. And obviously they can't do that right now, uh, but we still wanted to offer ways for the community to engage with us. Uh, So a lot of our staff members had put in some time and I went with my very professional camera equipment, uh, which (laughs) is my cell phone. And she did a fantastic job. She added some activities. Um, She made a little cave uh, for the bear. Um, We've got about seven or eight more too that are on our website. And uh, we know that a lot of our staff are missing their patrons uh, just as patrons are missing us. And we know it's great for, for people at home to still see familiar faces. Okay, so what have you come up with, Lindsay, with our uh, well-defined entry for this episode? Denis, I'm wondering if you're feeling very equimous right now. Equimous. Okay, uh, equa from the word horse, no? Or am I close? No, not not at all, actually. It means being in a state of mental calmness or composure, uh, especially in light of a difficult situation. So I'm sure that many people right now are not uh, in a current state of equanimity, given everything that's going on in the world. Okay, so I guess we should all strive for equanimity. We should all strive for equanimity as best as we possibly can, especially in this difficult situation. And I would suggest maybe being calm as we learn how to pronounce that word, but you seem to have mastered it. (laughs) It's a tough one for sure. The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Yeah, that's a well-defined podcast name for our community, right? We have so much to offer here, like music. Yeah, I know you got your great homegrown country music and your rock and roll and your jazz. I'm talking about you, Eric Smeaton. And you got your hip hop too. Great hip hop. 
I'm talking about Luis Segura. You may have met Luis, a sandwich artist extraordinaire, courtesy of his Fresh Fuel restaurant, which he and his wife Leanna own and operate. But as well as perfecting raps, as in W-R-A-P-S, you got to admire his raps, R-A-P-S. Luis grew up partly in El Salvador at eight years of age. He and his family ended up in Toronto, and that's where he met his now wife, Leanna, and they eventually settled here in her hometown of Kawartha Lakes. His El Salvador roots inspire much of the music of his band, Los Poetas, mixing some great Latin rhythms and language to give it a sound that really, really gets you moving and thinking. We'll give his music and my conversation with him a listen. I am who I am. I'm not trying to sound or be like anybody else. When I was only four, my brother three years old, my mother she would hold us against the wall, watching helicopters drop down bombs. I was only three feet high with potholes in my lawn. My pops, he played calm. My mom, she prayed a psalm. Knowing all along in the valley of death, the only thing left would be a song sung with melody for souls that are gone. Gone, but not forgotten. For y'all, we carried on. You talk a little bit about the valley of death. Can you talk to me, tell me about that? Where, where, where that comes from or what inspired that? Despite, you know, being surrounded by war and the civil war at the time as a child, I never, I never once felt in danger. I still had a regular childhood, despite everything going on around me and the experiences that we had. So I felt like, you know, uh, like that I was walking through a valley of death, you know, and that's that's what that so that's what the wambam is. It's kind of like, you know, singing louder than the chaos around us. What was it like for you to be outside that bubble unaffected when you, you know, you probably had peers and friends who were inside the bubble? I mean, as a kid, it's surreal because, you know, like, for example, like on our, on my, our street, there was, uh, I remember there was a soldier, he was at the corner, right? And uh, he was kind of like patrolling, right? And my brother and I would walk to school back and forth. And one day we walked by and uh, he wasn't there. And my parents told me, you know, that, that he had, He'd been killed. He got shot. A lot of people would have taken that whole experience, Lewis, come to Canada and thought, okay, I'll remember it, but just kind of leave it over there. But yet you're really um, using it to inspire the music you're creating now. What was that decision like to, to almost revisit that? You know, subconsciously, it's, just, it's a part of, it's a part of me. It's a part of my, you know, a part of who I am. And, and, and it, uh, I mean, it helps shape a lot of you know who i am so the fact that i you know that we left you know el salvador is because of a war and as far as for the music yeah like i, I just it just always served as a muse or as an inspiration um and it wasn't until later you know i started dissecting like even things i had written i was like wow like yeah a lot of stuff was like, had military tones or you know what i mean or, or yeah or, or, or things of that matter and and um and i like i had been you know i'd been recording and writing in, in english for the most time until the los poetas uh project came together and once I did that, I even like, you know, like writing in Spanish and be, you know, it just it just made me reminisce and focus more on, you know, where I came from that, you know, a lot of those memories came up. I was writing in English and uh, I have a friend who is uh, from El Salvador as well. He's a rapper as well. And he had messaged me 
and I sent him some music and he was like, man, he's like, I, I always listen to you and I always expect to hear you uh, rap in Spanish. But the, the, the one thing that he said to me that, that really triggered it all was he said, you know, he's like, you not speaking in Spanish is denying half of you, right? It's like you not exploring and expressing half of you. How did you respond to that? I, right away, I, just, I was just like, damn, like, this guy's right. <laughs> you know, so I had to. I had to like kind of dive in and, and, and then, you know, leaving El Salvador at the age of nine, there's a lot of culture or, or education that I missed out on that I would, you know, that I would have experienced. Right. So I had to like, you know, go back and like kind of, you know, read more, you know, authors or, or poets and, you know, dive into more music and ask my dad about, you know, like stories, you know, from, from his childhood. And it just made me dive in switching to Spanish. It, it just, this reconnection to my roots was like such a vibrant, beautiful thing that happened that um, I haven't turned back. There's a seemingly juxtaposition with this guy in Lindsay doing Spanish hip hop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're already laughing. Expand on that for me a little bit. You know what? I, I, I believe hip hop is is a universal culture a universal language because it, it it includes everything it doesn't it doesn't deny anything like and you can sample polka you can sample you know country you can sample anything so by by pulling that in it kind of includes everyone you know and and that's that was that was the whole premise of hip hop it was just that was the beauty of it that it it brought people that it was supposed to supposed to bring people together once you're you've tapped into your own creative you know soul and spirit and it's like you can create anywhere so if i see you at fresh fuel and you seem a bit distant as you're making my rap it's because you're thinking hip-hop i'll just make that assumption that's that's probably like 99.9 percent of the time <laughs> <laughs> Luis Segura and his band Los Puertos are currently working on a new album. Check them out and their video for Wham Bam. What a great song. At wearelospoetas.com. And check out our show's official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers, Jason and Chris Award, and their team offer a wide range of legal services. Learn more at wardlegal.ca. Original theme music for the podcast is courtesy of another great musician who just happens to be from here, Gerald Van Haltren. Let us know what you think of the program. We love feedback. You can find us on Facebook and at lindsayadvocate.ca. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, is written and produced by me, Denis Grignon. But I do other things as well, like raise day-old meat chickens that I picked up this past week at the Horse and Hound, eh? Boxes open. All right, chicks. One at a time, right? And dump their beaks in. One at a time. You can dump their beaks in the water. I'm gonna call this one um, crock pot. And what do you want to call that one? Fluffy. Fluffy. Right, welcome to your home, chicks. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in two weeks. <laughs>